Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views. Alan Corcoran. You're welcome back to Morning Mix. Now I'm joined on the line by Catherine Corliss. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, Jim. The historian who tirelessly worked day and night, and I suspect to the detriment of some other aspects of your life, to uncover the tomb babies, the tomb babies scandal. How did it come about? Well, first of all, uh, I'm not exactly a historian, uh, just um, a person very interested in local history. And it started out that way. It started out doing a little bit of local history, trying to find out about the mother and baby home in Chum, which I thought would be just a little simple history of the Bonscore sisters and uh, just the, the place, how it was and that. But uh, I, I never expected what I was going to come across and I had no idea that it would bring me this far. Tell me how it happened. How, what happened? How, how did you get involved? Well, it just um, I was interested in the local history and I did a local history course, which was fantastic for me because it gave me the tools and how to research and, you know, where to go, how to get information, uh, just to keep plodding and not to give up because sometimes you, you think there's no records and they'll be somewhere else or they'll be part of the records somewhere. So I got into that stride and I just uh, started doing that and uh, I was doing it for a local history uh, magazine for uh, in Chuma comes out every year. And uh, I had done a few, um, I had done a few essays already, you know, on local history, on the landlords and that kind of thing around the area. And uh, then I decided to do an essay on the, the home in Chum, and the editor agreed. He said that would be grand. So I set about, I thought it would be the same way as researching, you know, for any local history. But it turned out to be different altogether because, mm. first of all, I couldn't find anything in Chum about the mother and baby home in Chum. Although it was there, it was there for about um, 35 years. Now, there was plenty on the workhouse itself because uh, the mother and baby home in Chum was originally a workhouse and there was uh, plenty to be found on that, but nothing on the mother and baby home itself or on the Bonscore sisters. So it was a difficult task, but finally, by degrees, I got enough by talking to people in the area and by getting scraps of information, I was able to put a lot of uh, a lot of what happened in, in, in the home in Chum. And, uh, I mean, uh, a group of us got together in the early stages just to put up a plaque to honour the children who had died in the home. But it went far and beyond that, that because I felt it wasn't enough that uh, this, this atrocity had to be out in the open. It had to be opened up and it had to be rectified. What, was, really the, how it all came about. what was the level of local knowledge in regard to this mother and baby home? There was quite a bit of knowledge I found out eventually, even though people said they didn't know. Um, especially the authorities and the church. They said there was no records. There was nothing to be got. It was a long time ago. And um, they, they, they tried to say that uh, these, were, uh, they, these weren't the home children that, that would be there. They would be belonging to the workhouse from the 1800s uh, because, you know, they were giving me the story that thousands of people died and the bones were just everywhere. So they kind of fobbed it off as that, but I was eventually able to prove that, no, these weren't famine remains that were found in the area, that they couldn't be because they were in a sewage facility, which the very same sewage facility was had been used by the workhouse at the time. So I knew then that they couldn't possibly be workhouse uh, burials. And eventually then by finding maps of the area, early maps, 
And uh, one map in particular that I found, it showed sewage tank where the boys had found the, the bones back in the 1970s. So uh, I presume everybody more or less knows the story of that. And I worked on that then, and I was able to prove that was the big breakthrough that I, I could prove that the remains that the little boys found in the 1970s when the housing estate was going up, that these were not um, uh, famine victims, that they, were, they had to belong to the era of the mother and baby home. So a lot, so of, this, really a, a lot of this came to light then because of the building of a, of a housing estate? Absolutely, and I know at the time that people were saying that the whole area should have been turned into a memorial park, the whole, the whole area, because there were, a few, um, there were a few burials from the famine times, but that was not where the area where the, where the home babies were found. It was way across the other side, and uh, people said that it should be memorialised, but for whatever reason, the council came in and they decided to build a housing estate in and around the whole burial area. Uh, the council were very careful to plan out their houses so that the houses wouldn't be built or or, or graves wouldn't be disturbed. There's a, a very, very large playground right in the middle and that's on top of a lot of the little the box burials. And then in the corner where the grotto is, you have the sewage tank facility. And that's where a lot of the little remains are, unfortunately. In your discussion, in your talking with local people, were you told of certain suspected people or suspected children who were in those graves? Was there that kind of knowledge? Well, uh, there was, of course, yes, but I wasn't being told that. Um, another breakthrough was the local uh, caretaker of the local cemetery, which is very quite near the, this area where the, where the home was. And uh, that, that was one of my first call to ask the local cemetery caretaker, was there any burials in the, in the graveyard itself, the main tomb graveyard? And when I got all the death certificate off the children, I went through his books to see would any of the home children be buried in the main tomb graveyard and uh, there wasn't there wasn't any of the of the home babies there and uh, then he more or less he said he brought me to the site which I had never stood on before across the road from the from the tomb graveyard and he brought me around it and I asked him what was that in the corner there there's a grotto there and uh, he, he started saying then he said well he said people are saying they're, they're, they're famine remains but I can tell you he said that there's a lot of home babies buried here as well and he more or less was kind of saying not to say that I that he told me, but um, from from his words, then that's what really got me started. I had to find out how many babies had died in the home and all that, and I had to get the correct number, and I had to see could they possibly be buried anywhere else. And uh, in the end, there was no records, no burial records whatsoever were kept. So that's that's how I went forward. Did you have an initial ballpark figure of the the number of bodies? Uh, before you realised that there were actually 800 bodies? Oh, absolutely not. I, I would have assumed there was many, 20, 50 or something like that, which would be enough to cause an uproar that they would put them in a sewage facility. So at what point but, did you yeah. realise, what point did the, the shocking discovery emerge of 800 bodies? It was when I went back to the birth, death, marriages registration office in Galway and a very kind girl helped me there. I asked her, to find out, I had a few. I had a few names already, but I said, "Could you find out the exact number of babies and young children who died?" And it had to be specific that they died in the home and show. And uh, she brought me the staggering number, the staggering number of seven nine six deaths. Now that was daunting and that was upsetting, and I, it took me a few days to come to terms with that. 
because I knew at this stage that these babies, they, they didn't seem to be anywhere else and they had to be there in the grounds of the Chum home. That was very, very upsetting. We, we're now at the stage where, thanks to yourself, uh, we are approaching the stage where hopefully uh, these 800 children, babies, can be can receive a proper burial and be identified. How well, close well, are we to it? I know there's legislation going yeah. through the doll at the moment in terms of exhumation, yeah. which surprised well, me because true, I didn't yeah. think there was a le- such legislation required. I don't know why there was legislation required because many, many uh, skeleton remains from historical uh, remains are found right across the country, especially by archaeologists. There's no fuss. They take up the remains, someone examines them as historic, and they're coffined and reinterred in a cemetery. Now, I, I don't know why. I don't know what the difference is. They're, the government's excuse is because this is a, oh, it, it, it's a mass exhumation. Now, I don't see the difference. Uh, I mean, they could have, they could have uh, brought in that burial bill long ago, but I don't know what it is or why they're stalling. It's such an atrocity, and I, there isn't all that much uproar about it, ex- except from the ordinary decent people across the country and across the world, you can say. But as regards the government, they're quite willingly just just stick up a few plaques and just tell us to forget about them and to pay homage to them and visit, visit the site. But that, that will not do. It's not right. It was an atrocity and it has to be, it has to be, it has to be fixed. That's all I can say, Jim. It, it's just an atrocity. Do you think the Minister for Children, Roderick O'Gorman, is, is he on the right path? Is he, is he honest in his dealings with you? Well, I think he's on the right path, as you say, because even when he was in the Green Party, he stipulated a long time ago that, that this was... He actually said this was wrong and that the children must come out of that sewage facility. And uh, uh, in the last year, it, it's just... It's, uh, he's stalling a fair bit. Now, I don't know what pressure is on him, but uh, he seems genuine. He has made promises. Uh, so far, his promises are being carried out because it's past the um, Cabinet stage for the bill to go through. It's past the Oireachta stage. It now has to go to the Dáil and the Shannon and be signed by Michael D. Higgins. And he has told me that that will be done this year. Now, what else can I do when he take his word for it? But uh, he does seem genuine. He does seem to be doing his best. I don't know how they work in government, but I can't understand how it wasn't done long ago. But uh, we just have to keep with them. We have to keep putting pressure on them. And that's the only thing that is working is a lot of pressure from the media, asking them and continuously asking them, when is this going to happen? So the latest uh, comment from Roderick O'Gorman just this week, the latest statement he said, it's just on the same track. He says that uh, uh, exclamation, uh, exhumation will begin in 20, early 2022. So we can just hope on that. You've, re- you've just recently published your memoirs uh, titled Belonging. Um, That's right, Jim. Can I ask a very personal question? Has, how has this impacted on the rest of your life? Health-wise, emotionally, family? Yeah, well, it, it, it's quite draining, the whole lot, but uh, it's a journey I, I, I began. I got carried along with it more than me pushing it. It, it just carried me along. People, um, media uh, kept it going. They, they kept um, calling to me, asking me were there any new developments. With all the documentaries and everything have been made, it's uh, well to me. It, it was a great help that the media were keeping this going because my one aim was to keep this, in, you know, just out there in the spotlight, and to keep people thinking and talking, and to keep pushing the government. 
So um, I have a very good family who support me so well. That has helped enormously. And uh, it's just something I can't, you know, I feel I have no option when I stay with it. And it's it has taken over my life. And uh, people, some people say it's an obsession, but it isn't. It's just I, I cannot see why, why the government and the religious are, are not moving on this and calling it an atrocity. I mean, we have the... We have the apology from the Bon Secours sisters, which was welcome, and uh, they acknowledge that they buried them uh, indecently, and they have stated that they must be buried with dignity. So there's there's no okay. movement, there's no talk from them, there's no hurry on anyone to do anything. So, thank you, uh, thank you so much for talking to, to us this morning. Yeah. Okay, Jim. And just before I let you go, I see Liam Neeson is is um, filming doing a, a film based on yes, your story, and. He is. He uh, he's struck by your humility. Yes, um, absolutely, and I suppose I'm struck by his because I I couldn't believe really that he's just got so taken with this story, and he's been adamant that it has to go out there, and he's adamant that that film will be made, and it's 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 well it's well ahead with uh, okay. with plans, and they're hoping to to do the filming next year. So your book is your book is yeah. on the shelves at the moment, is it? It isn't. Oh gosh, it is. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very it's, thankful. It's called belonging. It's called belonging, yeah. and it's belonging, as, yeah. as they say, it's in all good bookshops. Well, that's that's right, Jim. That's right. God bless you. Thank you very much for talking okay. to us. Southeast Radio's morning mix: chat, news, and your views.